Hello and welcome to Grace Life Rondebosch, a church situated in Cape Town, South Africa. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that this will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. But tonight, um, I want to talk about something which affected me as a, as a young believer, as a new believer for, for a long time. Um, and trying to figure out how to explain this. But, you know, I think it affects a lot, of, lot more Christians than um, uh, I would like to, to think. Uh, and that is, is that a lot of Christians feel insecure in their salvation. Uh, and so as a result, you struggle to, to even have confidence in your identity in Christ uh, because th there's an insecurity there. And largely that insecurity is just because of the thought of the, or, or you wonder if you've lost your salvation at some point or whatever the case is. And so, I mean, I remember growing up having many salvation cards in my Bible that I signed and dated every time I recommitted them. And I got born again, again, and again, 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 and again, 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 again. And, you know, we kind of have this mindset. And I, I think, you know, you have different viewpoints on this. Uh, but I think the, 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 it's a big reason why there's so many insecure Christians. And insecurity will cause a lack of fruitfulness. And so that's why the body of Christ is largely un unfruitful is one of the reasons, not the only reason. But it's because we're... we're um, uh, looking at ourselves and judging ourselves and thinking, I wonder if I'm still saved because we're not looking according to the spirit. You know, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse um, 16 says that we we no longer judge anyone after the flesh. So, you know, we, but but the problem is, is we're judging ourselves after the flesh. And, you know, if we're judging ourselves after the flesh, then then um, uh, we're not going to most of us are probably not going to be very secure because it's going to be a case of, well, um, I'm looking at my actions. I'm looking at my thoughts. I'm looking at my intentions. I'm, you, know, you know yourself better than anyone else. So someone might look and say, you're okay. But all we're all doing is judging actions, judging thoughts, judging. We're not judging spirit. Okay, so this is an important uh, thing for us, I believe, to get into. And uh, in this uh, a teaching, I really believe what it's going to do for you is establish your heart in the goodness of God so that it causes a greater fruitfulness in your relationship with him. Okay. As I've shared this with other people, I've, this is what I've seen is that a, a stability comes and a, a, a peace comes that, that didn't happen before. Because the, the bottom line is, is that God is committed to you even when you're not committed to him. God is committed to you even when you're not committed to him. So let's, um, let's actually start off there and go to John chapter 13. You can follow on the screen if you want, but there's nothing there. John chapter 13, right at the end of the chapter. And if you've got a Bible, this is really cool to see. Because it's important to remember that the, the, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was written as a, a book. John, the book of John, or the letter of Ephesians, or whatever. So it was written really uh, as an entirety, each book or, or of the Bible, each letter within the Bible. And uh, when we realize that, then we don't 
isolate things into John chapter 13 and John chapter 14. Because what comes after 13? 14. Okay. And so if we keep reading, sometimes it explains a lot. So here we have John chapter 13, verse 36. And Simon Peter says unto him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him and says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter says to him, Lord, why can't uh, can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus says, so, so, I mean, this is like a lot of Christians. Yeah. Over a zealous, um, I'm committing, I'm shooting my mouth off. Whether we do it to God or whether we do it to pastor or whether we do it to, to each other. Like everyone loves to overpromise and underdeliver. We don't aim for it, but that's just what we do, right? And so it's like, oh. I'm committed, Lord, you know, January 1st. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. God, this year I'm not going to miss church. This year I'm going to, you, you, you fill in the blanks of everything that you commit to. You know, you come to the end of the year and it's been a difficult, everyone, it's amazing. For years, I've never said this has been a very difficult year. But most people I encounter all have the same confession at the end of every single year. This was really a tough year. Next year is going to be better. Why? How do you know that next year is going to be better? Because you're probably not making any decisions <laughs> to change the direction of your life. And so it's probably going to be the same, if not worse. <laughs> but anyway, that's a, that's a, 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 a side note and a, a topic maybe for December. Uh, <laughs> as we approach, uh, uh, what's it, um, uh, New Year's resolution season. But the, the, the point here is, is that we, we often overcommit. And, and I mean, you, get encou you encounter God and, and you, you, you encounter his love, you experience it, you have a revelation and automatically your heart is full and it's overflowing. And you're like, Lord, here I am. I'm all yours. And the next day, you're not all his. The next day, <laughs> you're doing it what you want to do. You're not doing what you know you should do. And you're making bad decisions or you know, whatever the case is, or you're like, God, I'm going to wake up at five. I'm going to pray and I'm going to read my Bible. And seven o'clock, you're rolling out of bed and it's like, oh, or it's like, oh, something came up. I can't go to church. I committed to go to church to do this. It's like it, we feel what happens when something like that happens. Condemnation, guilt, shame. And those are three things that as Christians, we should never know. We should never know what it feels like to be condemned guilty or shameful because we've been we've been redeemed we've been forgiven okay but but here peter is like i'm gonna lay down my life for your sake and jesus answers him with the prophetic word and says will you lay down my, your life for my sake most assuredly what does that mean most assuredly it's like i, I can tell you that this is definitely going to happen I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until so before morning. You're going to deny me three times. Mr. Overcommitted, Mr. Zealous, Mr. I'm going to die with you, Jesus, and lay down my life for you. And Jesus turns around and says, listen, <laughs> before the morning, you're actually going to deny me three times. Imagine what Peter felt in his heart in that moment where his, the hope, his, his Messiah, his uh, 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 rabbi, his teacher, his, his companion, his friend, someone that he had been very close with for so long, all of a sudden turns around and says, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times within the next couple of hours. And he's just overcommitted himself. 
And I mean, I, I, I experienced that with someone once where um, they were just, after the sermon, I, I, may, I could have dealt with it differently. <laughs> but after a sermon, they were just like so filled with love and like overwhelmed that, that like what we've done for their, in their lives. And all this comes up to me and he's like, um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's like saying how he, he just loves us and he loves the church. And he's just like so overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Yeah, you know. He, he, one day he's going to buy me a car. He wants to buy me a house. Like, and he just started like listing everything that he, and I was like, I've seen this before. <laughs> and I was like, I know it's not going to happen. So my heart's not like moved by this, but I was kind of like, listen, rather don't overcommit yourself. Like I can tell you now, you're probably not going to give any of that. I mean, think about it. Like, what are you giving now? <laughs> like, so maybe just like, be thankful, enjoy, and, and kind of like just keep things that you want to do in your heart and don't commit to them until you, you do them. And he really uh, 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 struggled with that and got offended at that. Um, and obviously never fulfilled that. It's been a couple of years now. <laughs> but the point is, is that like that feeling, he must have felt identified with Peter. Then, you know, and, and so like, what, how, do, how do you deal with that? Now, John 13 goes into John. 14 and so jesus says will you lay down your life for my sake most assuredly you're going to deny me three times before morning next verse let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you i go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, now he's answering the question, where I am, there you may also be. So he's like, hey, I want to come with you. No, you can't come right now. But then he's saying, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to come back and we're going to be together. Okay. But Jesus doesn't just leave him hanging. Jesus is like, hey, you, 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 you don't let your heart be troubled because I've said you're going to deny me. You, you said, I'll, you know, that's why we don't sing songs like that. But, you know, there's a lot of songs like, I'm going to follow you and I'm committed to you and whatever. I can't remember them right now. But I've sang them over the years. And, and, and it, it's, it's more like instead of declaring and, and, and confidently boasting in our love for God, we should be declaring and boasting in our, his love for us. And that's what our songs should be about. Our singing, our worship. Not about... How awesome we are, God. And we are going to go to the ends of the earth for you. And we're going to lay down our lives for you. No, we're singing about how he came to earth for us. And how he laid down his life for us. And how committed he is to us. Because what, what's happening here in this conversation with Peter and with, with Jesus is that Jesus is saying, even though you're unfaithful to me, I am faithful to you. So... 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. And we've got to see, like, because the idea of maybe I've lost my salvation or something is, is usually a sin issue. Okay. And we've got to see sin is no longer an issue in our relationship with God. Sin can harden our hearts towards God, but it doesn't harden God's heart towards us. Yeah, you know, he doesn't change his opinion of you just because you had a bad day. <laughs> Your opinion can change of him, but his opinion is declared on the cross through Jesus. 
It didn't start there, but it was de declared. This is how much he loves you. That was declared there. It doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't change. Now, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. Think about this. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. Okay? There's no change there. It, it doesn't fluctuate. You're, you're not, where, where, how can you become more one with Jesus? The answer is you can't. You're one with him, and it doesn't change. If you look at that verse, um, verse 16, if you go back to verse 15, it says, Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? Anyone not know what a harlot is? <laughs> it's a prostitute. You know why he's writing this? Because the church is struggling with sexual immorality. The church is struggling with incest. There's, there's sexual sin in the church. And this is a church which is moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he's writing to them and he's saying, you shouldn't do this because, verse 16, he says, what? Know ye not that he which is joined into a harlot, a prostitute, is one body? For two, says he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. And then the next verse, flee fornication. And he's, he's speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to uh, Christians who aren't living like Christians. And he's saying, hey, you're one with Jesus. That's why you shouldn't live in sexual immorality. He's not saying, hey, you need to flee sexual immorality so that you can become one with, with Jesus again. He's saying, because of your oneness with him, flee sexual immorality. So, you know, he's writing to a messed up church. And yet, the message of the church is, is often, hey, every time you sin, you lose your salvation. That's in the strictest sense. You mess up, you've got to come back to God and get born again again. Okay? Every time you sin, you've got to confess it. You've got to repent from it. You've got to, you've got to say, be sorry so that God can come back. That's in the strictest sense. But then on the other side, you've got some where they will just say, it's, it's, it's maybe broken fellowship. But a lot of it that I've seen is really just a, um, a, a, a people just feeling like they've lost their salvation because they've done something wrong. And what that tends to do for a lot of people is keep them stuck in their sin, keep them stuck in a bad place because they feel like God is far from them. You know, and some people just don't even know where they stand with God because of teachings like this. You know, then they kind of wonder why, uh, they, they, or they know why their prayers aren't answered. And you know why their prayers aren't answered? Because they don't expect them to be answered. <laughs> it's not because God's withholding. Okay, this church in, 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 in Corinth, Corinth the, the church of, uh, that Paul wrote to in Corinthians, they were flowing in the power of the Spirit. And yet they were living shameful lives. They weren't living God-glorifying lives. That should, that should show us something. Not that, hey, I'm not promoting sins to this man. I'm just promoting that sin doesn't change your, your, your status with God. So Christians usually you know, cope by trying to keep every sin confessed. <laughs> okay, and I know no one like that, is like that here. But if you think about it, that's impossible. You know, the Bible says that whatever is not of faith is sin. So there, there's a, the standard is raised. <laughs> it's not just sexual immorality or stealing or murder or lying or whatever. It's like 
if you know the good that you ought to do, James says, and you don't do the good that you ought to do, that's sin. Okay, so even if you think you're good, you're not good enough. <laughs> okay, because the good, you might be saying, well, I'm always doing the good that I thought. Well, you could have given me some money this evening. <laughs> See, now there's a sin. <laughs> Just a joke. But the point is, is that by these definitions, we can see that we've all fallen way short of the standard. Okay. You know, most uh, uh, people, including Christians, see this whole issue of forgiveness and sin grossly wrong. And that's why we feel insecure. Because we're judging ourselves according to our actions, not according to God's heart. Not according to what Jesus has done for us. Okay. Forgiveness is a done deal. Let's look at um, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm kind of going around about way to get there, but to get to the what I'm, I'm going to say, but we'll spend a bit one and two. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the, the thing can never with these same make those who approach perfect. So the sacrifices that were offered couldn't do the job, couldn't make um, the worshiper perfect. Okay, and the, sa the sacrifices were offered for sin. Verse two, for they then they would have if the if the uh, if the sacrifice could do the deal, it would have stopped. For the worshippers once purified, once made holy would have no more conscience of sins. Okay? So if the offering is perfect, then there should be no more offering for sin. There should be no conscious of sin, no awareness of sin. Now, I'm sure we'll agree. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And he was also the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. In that case, the perfect sacrifice has been offered and now because you've placed your faith in that perfect sacrifice you are made holy once and for all that's what uh, uh, verse 10 says if you scroll down or go down or page over it says by the which will we have been sanctified made holy through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all and say so you've been made holy through jesus not through your effort once and for all Okay, so no sacrifice is needed to make you holy anymore, and you should have no conscience of sin. If you've been in church for any number of years, not here, but in the body of Christ, if you've gone into any Christian bookshop, if you've watched any Christian television, you, 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 you should be amazed right now at this, what I've just shown you in Hebrews chapter 10, compared to what you've learned, what you've heard. Because in the body of Christ, there's a grossly over- uh, uh, focus on sin. And, you know, you've got to, like, the, the, a lot of preaching is against sin. A lot of focus is on sin and you repenting of your sin and dealing with your sin. And we should be focused on the Savior. Sin is bad. Sin is not good. It causes problems. We shouldn't do it. But while we're preaching about it, we should be preaching about Jesus and the solution for sin. So, you know, John chapter 1 verse 29 says, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so now, if, if, if Jesus is the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world, taken the payment for sin, then how much more is there to pay? 
First John chapter 2, verse 2. And he is the atoning sacrifice, the payment for our sins. Not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So if sin has been paid for by Jesus, what more is there to pay for? And yet we also have this mindset of when we sin, or when a nation sins, all of a sudden God's going to make us pay for it. That, that can't be. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So this is the same what we've got in Christ. It says we have redemption. We're not trying to get redemption. We have redemption. But it also says we have the forgiveness of sins. So listen, you're not trying to get forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Okay, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So you have forgiveness of sins. So stop trying to get forgiven. Stop trying to get forgiven. This whole idea of, of, of losing salvation comes from mostly the idea of if I make a mistake, it's done. God is much bigger than your mistake. God is much bigger than your mistake. Okay, and his forgiveness is much bigger than your sin. You know, the, the, the payment far outweighs the, the debt. The payment far outweighs the debt. We've, we've, got, to, we've got to remember that. So does this mean the whole world is saved? <laughs> no, obviously, definitely not. You know, we've got many different verses to show that. It, you know, although the whole world is forgiven, not just the believer, the whole world is forgiven. You know, we've got to put our faith in Christ in order to receive that. And there's a lot of things we can say about that. But I want to get mostly into just this, this talk of salvation for a moment. Okay, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse uh, 10 to 12. And I want to read verse 14. It says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering. Sanctified means made holy. You are made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Let's pause there. We're made holy through the offering of the body of Christ. I'm sure that you have at some point felt like you can only be holy through what you do or through what you offer. Like, so, so, so the more, like, let's look at it like this. Someone comes to you know, church tonight and they're like, uh, they start talking to you over coffee afterwards. And they're like, you know, I've just finished a three week fast. And, and, you know, if in your heart, when you hear that, all of a sudden you feel like, wow, this person is more holy than I am. You know what? Automatically, you're, you're revealing that you're, you're, you're basing holiness on action or inaction. Now, if a Christian walks in, okay, Etienne walks in, we know he's a Christian. There's no doubt about it. And he walks in and he kicks his toe and he flicks. 
It never happens. <laughs> but let's say it happened. You know, you, you, you were carrying something and you dropped it on his toe and all of a sudden a choice word comes out of his mouth. Yeah, and all of a sudden, you know, if you're, if you're um, legalistic, you're all of a sudden like, whoa, that came out of the pastor's mouth. Like, yeah, like, and you're like, I never do that. That automatically, Shania, you shouldn't do that. But, you know, the point is, is that you're judging according to action, according to the carnal, not according to the spirit, according to grace. God's grace is bigger than our mistakes. Okay? And that doesn't, doesn't mean like God's just winking at sin and saying, it's okay, I'm going to throw it under the carpet or, and hide it. What do you, but, but the point is it's forgiven. It's dealt with. He's not holding it against us. Okay? There's, let, me, let me stick to this. <laughs> and every priest, verse 11, Standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So this religious system could never do it, could never uh, 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 take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins. What's the next words there? Forever. One sacrifice for sins forever. Sat down on the right hand of God. For by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified or made holy. So one sacrifice for sins forever. How long is forever? Okay, we, we're on the same page. Then he says, has, by this one offering, he's perfected us forever. So how long are you perfect for? Ever. <laughs> Okay, the sacrifice lasts forever. But in some Christians' mindset, the sacrifice lasts until my next mistake. But the sacrifice is forever. Okay, look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. <clears throat> it says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Okay, so what did he obtain for us? Eternal redemption. The word eternal there means perpetual. It means without end. It even means without beginning, according to the, the, the Thayer's definition. So this forgiveness is without beginning. It's without end. It's never ceasing. This redemption that we have now. Now, how do you get that redemption? You believe. It's not automatic. Okay, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess that he is Lord, then you are saved. So you have to put your faith in the payment in order to enjoy the, the, the gift, the free gift. But here's the thing. It's eternal redemption. But according to a lot of people's theology, it's momentary redemption. It's something which is fickle. Your salvation can easily be messed up if you make a mistake. But according to the Bible, what we've just seen in Hebrews, it's eternal. It's perpetual. It's forever. It's never ceasing. One sacrifice was made for sin forever. 
And now we have been perfected forever. There's no other conclusion you can come to when you read those verses. If you read these verses with, uh, without the traditions of men, you cannot conclude that you can lose your salvation. Unless someone's conditioned you in that direction. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 23, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23 says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Made perfect. Okay, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than of Abel. So, you know, if you've accepted the sacrifice, Jesus, for your sins by faith, your, your, your spirit is now perfect. Okay, if, if something's perfect, it's perfect. <laughs> it, 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 it's not imperfect makes mistakes. Your spirit doesn't make mistakes because your spirit is his spirit. Okay, 1 John 4 verse 17 says, you know, as he is, so are you in this world. The reason why you sometimes feel like you've lost your salvation or wonder if you have is because you don't see that your spirit is as he is right now. You see yourself as you are right now, not as he is right now. And I don't know, I'm, I'm sure I made some mistake today. <laughs> I'm sure I said something wrong or didn't do something I should have done. But I'm not focused on that stuff. So I'd have to really think about it to be able to give you an example of that. But, but the point is, is like we're so focused in on what's wrong that we hardly focus in on what's right. And the gospel is good news. Not about what's wrong, but about what's right. It's not a, it's not a message of sin. It's a message of salvation. It's not a, a, a message of what you need to do in order to be saved. It's what you need to believe in order to be saved. That's the good news is you can't do anything. And yet a lot of Christians get saved by grace through faith. They put their faith in Jesus and what he's done. And now they're running off trying to maintain salvation through good works and through holiness and through this and through that. Good works are good. Holiness is good. But it doesn't maintain or keep your salvation. Salvation is a matter of faith. Okay. Yeah, so, so if we can understand this, that, that salvation and redemption is eternal, that the forgiveness that you, you, you have is complete, then, then you'll be more secure in your relationship with God. Then you're not going to fumble. You're going to have more confidence. You know, you're going you're gonna to have more faith. In, when you're praying, you're talking to God. Now, I know that there's, there, there's whole denominations which believe otherwise. I was with a, a, speaking to a relative once. I was my, my, my grandmother and I was pouring some water for us and, and in, in the kitchen. And uh, uh, I don't know the context of our conversation, but said, she said something about how every night before, and, and we've spent some time together. We lived together and uh, I had shared the message of grace and she had seen this in my life and all that. And now, 
after, you know, a couple of months or years later, years later, she says, uh, every night before I go to bed, I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit to, to show me what I've done wrong so that I can confess it and repent it. I repent of it and I got such a fight I threw the glass against the, the wall and it smashed and she got a fright I got a fright and I said I'm so sorry I was like I got such a fright at the crap coming out of your mouth there's no lightning bolt coming don't worry and and I, I, I said that on purpose to give her a, a shock because I don't speak like that ever and so I thought that will reinforce what I'm trying to show. And I was like, but Jesus paid for your, your, like for your sin. And the Holy Spirit can't do that. He doesn't remind you of sin. That's the devil's job. The Holy Spirit convicts you of unbelief. If you look at that verse properly, he doesn't convict you of sin, of not whatever, stealing. I want to say not tithing. <laughs> he doesn't convict you of the sin of whatever he's showing you that you can trust jesus and if you can't like what about i said what about the sins you forgot what if like like okay that you're asking the holy spirit to remind you but do you hear him perfectly is that what you're going with <laughs> you know we, we, we that's a in um a, a lot of insecurity in the relationship with god there and a lot of fear that's, that's not going to help you. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. It says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4. Now the question is, can I lose my salvation? Okay, now we've, can't, let, me, let me put it like this. Can I lose my eternal salvation? <laughs> I'm going to ask it like that because it's a, it should be a no-brainer. But I'm sure that there's still some of you that are going, of course you can lose your salvation. What if I go and kill a person? Once again, you're not looking at the, the, the spiritual. You're looking at the carnal. And don't go and kill someone. It's not good. But the point is, it's like, would that sin you know, send you to hell as a Christian? You'd, you'd end up living in a hell here. But anyway, let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves, the son of God and put him to an open shame. So I'm sure that a lot of fear can be brought out of these verses, but let's look at it in context. In context, it's not talking about uh, uh, you as a Christian. You know, so often uh, we don't consider the question when we're reading the Bible of who is he speaking to? Who is the audience? Okay. Yeah. Um, think about a, a, um, uh, uh, you go to your favorite convenience store. So I'm not name dropping. Your favorite convenience store, your shopping, uh, uh, your shop. <laughs> and uh, they've got a taster. Okay. Depend. Uh, you know, some, some shops, they've got tasters and you're not going to taste, right? <laughs> but you go to this and this is one you like. So they've got tasters that have got little societies with, with little sausages or whatever you like, mushrooms if you're vegan. And, you know, it's like you, you can go and taste it. It, it. I'm sure most of us have done that or seen that if you haven't done that. Okay. Now, how, how often do you taste it and walk away? 
<laughs> That's a good, honest, honest answer. You know, you, you, you taste it, you walk away, and then you come around, especially if it's the lint person and they're handing out the lint balls. It's like, yes, oh, can I have one of those, please? And you come back again after a few minutes, and it's like you're just coming again, and it gets, it's Christmas soon. So, you know, this is what we have to look forward to in the, in the malls. And, and, and it's like you, you're taking as much as you can, but you're not buying anything. Okay? That's what this is talking about. See, 2,000 years ago, ago, there was a group of Jewish people who were sampling the gospel. Paul was ministering to them. Others were ministering to them. Peter was ministering to them. They had the best of the best ministering to them. They were sampling. They were listening. They were engaging in it. And, uh, 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 but they kept going back to the Jewish traditions. They didn't receive Christ. They didn't go. They didn't buy the analogy. And so they, they, didn't, they didn't receive the free gift. They were just checking it out sampling and then going back to what they knew this is why that verse says there is no sacrifice left for sin okay because there's no other way to salvation because they would taste it and think oh but i can still go this way no you can't they would look at it but they can't, you can't now there's no other way for salvation jesus is the way to salvation the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through him so it's faith in his grace or eternal damnation. There's no other option. So you can be presented with the gospel as an unbeliever and go, well, that looks great, but I'm, I'm doing fine with my um, religious traditions that I'm doing and my meditation and my sacrifice and, you know, my incense or whatever you're doing and you're thinking this is a pleasing God and helping whatever it is it's like no it's not okay yet they were tasting but they weren't investing they weren't believing they were going back and verse six it says therefore sorry not verse six chapter six where were we we were in hebrews chapter six look at verse one therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of christ let us go on to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works or faith towards God. So this is written to the Jewish mind. Okay? This is written to a Jewish mind. It's not talking about foundations of the Christian faith. And for years I saw that as these, these are the foundations of the Christian faith. No, it's not. Okay? It's not, it's rather, it's, it's, it's everything that pointed to the new covenant. It's everything that pointed to Jesus and what he would do. Elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ is in reference to the prophetic words concerning the coming of Christ, the Messiah. That's the foundation of uh, uh, which is talking about. We as believers have the fulfillment, this side of the resurrection. Therefore, we don't need those prophecies about Christ's coming because he's come. Okay. So not laying again the, 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 is something that we don't, we don't it's, it's talking to, to us as well in a sense of this is not something, this is something we must do. We don't need to go back to these things. It's, it's funny because we often read it and it says, uh, let us go on. And yet we're not going on, we're camping here. 
not laying again. And then we're trying to lay again these foundations. It's always amazed me. I mean, when, you know, when, when, when you get into a foundations class or something like that, and they bring this verse, and now they're trying to teach on the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and the eternal judgment. And it's like, but I thought the writer just said, don't do this. Don't lay this again. Move on. So anyway, that, 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 that's interesting. So all of this is speaking to the Jewish mind who is still unconvinced about Jesus being the Messiah and how, uh, 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 and, and how we can now divorce ourselves from Jewish customs, from Jewish traditions, from Jewish rituals. It's saying now we must move on. We need a mind shift from attempts to try and impress God and please God through, the, through behavior. And, you know, and we need to now just focus in on his faithfulness. We need to focus in on his faithfulness, not our faithfulness. Okay? You know, when, when it says, uh, the, it talks about the doctrine of baptism. You can go into, and look at this and study this out. I've taught this in ministry school uh, uh, probably for a couple of weeks. But, you know, it, it's talking about the Jewish teaching of ceremonial washing. So it's coming straight from Genesis to, to um, uh, what's it? Malachi, <laughs> Genesis to Malachi. This is where it's getting it from. Laying on of hands is talking about the practice of laying on of hands on the sacrifice, the animal, to identify with them. It's not talking about laying hands on the sick to see them recover or laying hands on someone to whatever you want to do with them or you know some mystical power to come upon them. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about laying our hands on the, uh, on the sacrifice of the animal to identify with. It. When it talks about resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, it's talking about all teaching pertaining to sin consciousness. Because of all of these things are shadows which are fulfilled in Christ. Okay, verse 3. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come. Okay, verse 4 and 5 there, or 3 to 5. Now some of, of these Jewish believers or unbelievers may clearly, clearly see the light in the gospel presented to them. They may clearly see it. They may start to enjoy this gospel, but they haven't received it. This is the only way they can get saved, but they haven't gone that way. They're kind of like, oh, that's nice. That's interesting. I like that. But no, thank you. I'm not going to buy the sausage that you just let me taste. <laughs> Verse 6. If they fall away from receiving, to renew them again to repentance. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the son of God and put him to an open shame so you know if such a person was to insist on relapsing into legalism into sin consciousness into the Jewish tradition into the law to try and earn salvation it would be impossible to restore them to repentance what is repentance the Greek word is metanoia it's to awaken the mind it's to realign your reasoning someone who rejects the gospel it's, it's, it's impossible for them to realign, to awaken their mind. That's what this is talking about. They've heard the gospel. They've, they've experienced it a little bit or whatever, but they haven't received it fully. Now it's difficult to, uh, 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 impossible to awaken the mind back, to come back to repentance. 
So let me ask this question. What is the one thing that is unforgivable? What is the, what is the sin that you cannot be redeemed from? It's unbelief. It's, it's not believing the gospel. It's the rejection of the gospel. It's not any individual act of sin. It's not murder. Murder is bad. Just in case anyone was wondering that I'm promoting murder this evening. Murder is bad, but it's not the, un, the unpardonable sin. The unforgivable sin is unbelief. Okay. Hebrews chapter 6 is not about a Christian who loses their salvation. In context, it's about a Jewish person who flirts with the gospel and then rejects it and went back to their traditions, their customs, and their rituals. So look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 with me. Why this is so important is because it's so, or lose my salvation, have I done it? And, and you're still insecure. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. It says, for if, you're going to like this one, some of you. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Bum, bum, bum. Now, you know, that's where fear comes in. If we keep on sinning. Yeah, and so, so if you, you're caught up in a habitual sin, you're going to hell. You're doomed. <laughs> I'm obviously not being serious there. But so don't, don't, don't run off just with that one line and quote me on Facebook or wherever. What is the context? Remember, what is the context? Look at verse uh, uh, of um, Hebrews chapter 10. Let's, let's look at verse 1 and 2. The context, we read this earlier. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with those same sacrifices which they offer the year by year make those who come uh, approach perfect. For, there, for then would they have not ceased to be offered for the worshippers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins. Now I go down to verse 17. Then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Okay, look at verse 19. Therefore, because of all this, now there's a progression in the, the, the flow of verses. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. He's, he's, he's paint, the whole of Hebrews chapter 10 is beautiful. I've, I, 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 it's one of my favorite passages to teach on. But over the last few, few, few years, what I've seen there is it's painting a picture. How many, you know, maybe there's somebody here, but we haven't really done the whole Jewish offerings once a year thing, most of us. Okay? And that's what verse 1 and 2 is about. Then verse 10 is about the, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And now it gets to verse 19, and it's saying, because of this, we can enter into the, the holy of holy. Because of the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, Jesus, you verse uh, 17, you're forgiven and God's not remembering your sins anymore. And because of this, verse 19, you can enter into salvation. And yet we look at verse 19 and take it as a, a, a scripture for worship. <laughs> you know, we have boldness to enter the holiest. Tonight, as we worship, we're going to enter the holy of holies. Hallelujah. You can't do that. 
You can't enter the Holy of Holies as a Christian. Ever. Why? Because the Holy of Holies is you. You're the dwelling place of Almighty God. You can't go into His presence. His presence has come into you. See, we, we, we misread Hebrews because we don't know the context of the Jewish mind and all of this and the, what the purpose of the book is. And so we come up with stupid things like, let's, let's enter into the presence of God. Yeah, or, or enter into the Holy of Holies by a new and living way. Yeah, this is talking about entering into salvation. So the only type of sin which would cause you not to enter into this Holy of Holies is unbelief. You don't believe the gospel. So let's change that. You know, the, the only type of sin mentioned throughout Hebrews, the only type of sin mentioned throughout the book of Hebrews is unbelief. So if we keep on unbelieving, that's the sense. We think of sin and we think of lust or lying or thieves or whatever, stealing or whatever. You know, but you know, if it's saying, it says, if we keep on sinning, you know what it's talking about? If we keep on unbelieving. That's the only thing that can prevent you from salvation. If we keep on unbelieving, it's not an issue of sin, action, it's sin, unbelief. So I'm saying all of this to say this one thing. You are secure. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, New King James says, let your conduct be without. Now, let me just pause there. We've been in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 6. We've been in Hebrews chapter 9. We've been in Hebrews chapter 10. Now we're in Hebrews chapter 13. And throughout the book of Hebrews, like any book, there's a logical flow. Now we're coming to a, a, a conclusion, in one of the conclusions in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And it says this, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is saying to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not just when you're living faithfully. Not just when you're righteous and holy and doing good. But I will never leave you because that's what God is. He's, he's faithful to his word, which says, I will not leave you. So you try and get rid of him. You can't. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. We love to take this one. <laughs> God is faithful. Yeah, uh, 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 someone's going through a rough time and you're encouraged. Don't worry, God is faithful. Someone's trusting for a job or tr someone's uh, a job is on the line. Maybe they're a bad employee even, and that's why. And then we like encourage them, God is faithful. Don't worry. Trusting for a visa. <laughs> it's like God is faithful. Don't worry. The Bible doesn't say God is faithful to get you a visa. It doesn't say God is faithful for you to keep your job. God is faithful with all the things that we attach faithfulness to. It says here, he is faithful who will establish you to, uh, and guard you from the evil one. Imagine that. He is faithful to do as he promised. Another verse would say, but this says he is faithful to establish you and guard you from the evil one. This is talking about your salvation. God is faithful to keep you till the end. 
even when you are not faithful to keep him to the end. Look at Jude, verse 24. Jude 24, this one chapter. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. This is beautiful. Let's look at it. He is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless. You might not be able to present yourself faultless to God. But he is able to present you faultless before God. Jesus will present you faultless if you've received him. Because it's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. Okay, now here's for the home run. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. I love this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. If we are faithless or unfaithful, he will remain faithful. God is committed to you even when you're not committed to him. And that should most certainly not promote unfaithfulness in our lives. It should do the opposite and be like, wow, the pressure is off. God isn't expecting me to be perfect in order to, for me to maintain my salvation. God is not expecting anything of me. I'm his child, and all I need to do is just look to him, and he will keep me. He will, he will maintain my salvation, my eternal salvation, not momentary or temporal salvation. You are eternally secure, and what that should do is cause you a boldness to rise up within you to say, hey, doesn't matter what's happening on my worst day. God accepts me, God loves me, and, and I've got eternal salvation. I'm accepted in the beloved because I put my faith in Christ, not because I live right. I should live right. It's my witness. <laughs> you know, people are watching. If I, if I go in sin and live in sin, it, it causes damage to my life and damage to the people around me, and, and it, it, it affects my, uh, it may, causes me to maybe be a bad ambassador, representative of Christ. But God's heart is still open to me. God still loves me. And I, I'm still secure in him. Amen. And so, Father, I thank you for the eternal security that we have in you as believers. All we needed to do was believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead. And we, uh, uh, that, 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 that he was raised from the dead to make us right with you and declare that he is Lord, make him Lord, and we're saved. And then it's, 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 it's by grace through faith we receive, it's by grace through faith that we live. No sin can, can, can separate us from you because. Faith has united us. and We are one for eternity. I just thank you for that security, Father, that even for people in this room, 
if they've never made that decision to receive you, Father, I thank you right now that they just, in their hearts, you can do this right now without doing anything. Just say, in your heart to God, I'm putting my faith in you and I'm receiving salvation now. You just, you just, you just talk to God and you just say, I, I, I want to receive this. I want salvation. And what happens in that moment is that the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart. God himself comes to dwell in you by his spirit and will, will, will give you a new life that's for eternity. Father, I just thank you that we are so loved and secure in you. For anyone who's struggling with these issues of, of insecurity, I thank you that it's established now forever in their heart that they would know that they are, they are completely secure for eternity. They've got eternal salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. I just thank you that condemnation, guilt, and shame are just falling away right now. Condemnation, guilt, and shame are just falling away right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Don't, don't, just, just, you just keep your focus in on the goodness of God and, and his love and his faithfulness. Stop looking at your inaction or your actions and just, just start to focus in on him. I believe that, that, that there's somebody here you've been trusting for healing for a long time. Might even be someone online, but, but you've been trusting for healing for a long time. But in a way, you've been trusting for healing based on your confession and you doing all these right things. And you haven't really been looking at what God's been doing and his, what he's done in, in, in doing all of these things in order to receive healing. And through this message, even God's wanting you to see that he's more faithful to you than you are to him. Healing isn't a matter of your faithfulness. It's about putting faith in his faithfulness. Father, for whoever that is, I just thank you right now that as, we, as they look to your, your, your faithfulness, your, your goodness, that faith will rise up to receive everything that you've got for them, Father. And that healing would just flow in their bodies. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. If you're ever in the Cape Town area, we want to invite you to come fellowship with us at one of our life groups or Sunday gatherings. You can find out more about Grace Life Rondebosch via email at info at gracelife.co or check us out on our Facebook page Grace Life Rondebosch.